Yes, ma'am, I read you loud and clear. Yes, ma'am, this is... Yes, ma'am, this is... This is the present. Thank you again for that introduction, Mr. President. Hello, everyone, and welcome to part two of the October Surprise. My name is Scott Colonico, and this is episode 12, the October Surprise, part two. I told you that I'd get this out in October, and it looks like I did it. Hope everyone is doing well, and they've got something spooky prepared for Halloween. All right, to bring everyone up to speed, and these two episodes were calling the Walter Jenkins affair of, of October 1964. This threatened to derail the Johnson campaign in his run for re-election. Uh, it's also what's interesting here is that it's considered to be the first instance of the October surprise. That is, a scandal or a leak that happens in the month of October leading up to the U.S. presidential election. As you can see, October surprises are still going on up to now. Just this month, we've had the Trump grab them by the, you know what, leak from the news media. And just in the past couple of days, we've had the FBI announcing that they're going to start reinvestigating the Hillary Clinton email scandal. So the October surprise is alive and well in American politics. And it's kind of good to go back in history and take a look at some of the October surprises of the past. Before we jump into the phone calls, however, I wanted to share an interesting bit of trivia with my audience. As I mentioned in the last episode, one part of the Johnson campaign strategy was painting their opponent, Barry Goldwater, as a bit of a nut job who was ready to blow the world to smithereens at any moment. In addition to the famous Daisy ad, one of the Johnson key campaign commercials was called Confessions of a Republican and featured an interview with a Republican who was, in fact, an actor by the name of Bill Bogart. I think I'm saying that right. Bill Bogart. That's, that's how we're going to go with it. Featured an actor by the name of Bill Bogart on why he wasn't voting for Goldwater. Okay, let's have a listen. I don't know just why they wanted to call this a confession. I, I certainly don't feel guilty about being a Republican. I've always been a Republican. My father is, his father was. The whole family is a Republican family. I voted for Dwight Eisenhower the first time I ever voted. I voted for Nixon the last time. But when we come to Senator Goldwater, now, it seems to me we're up against a, a very different kind of a man. This man scares me. Now, here's the trivia bit. Something for you 80s fans out there. Found this with the assistance of the This is the President PDP-6 computer. Thanks, computer. The actor that played in the Confessions of a Republican commercial, Bill Bogert, would later go on to gain fame playing a reoccurring character on quite possibly the worst show ever in the world during the 1980s. Let's just go ahead and play the theme tune. She's a small wonder, lovely and bright and soft Yep, Bill Bogart played the, played the dad of Harriet the annoying next-door neighbor kid with the crazy pigtails on the show Small Wonder. You remember this one? It was in syndication during the 1980s and was about a dad who built a robot girl who was a robot and just... You, the whole th you just need to go watch it. it is, if you want to see the epitome of a bad 80s sitcom, this is it. 
And another bit of trivia for you Mr. Bogart fans out there, if any of you were fans of the Chappelle show back there in the day, you can see Mr. Bogart playing the part of the interviewer on the infamous Black White Racist sketch. We are looking for Clayton Bigsby. Well, look no further, fella, you found me. Uh, Clayton Bigsby, the author? Sir, you're a friend. Why not tell him he's African-American? Listen, man, it's too important to the movement. Well, tell him he's black, he'd probably kill himself. Just to be one less nigger around. His commitment is that deep. Alrighty, so back to the phone calls. When we left off our last episode, we were listening to presidential aide and future Supreme Court Justice Abe Fortas give President Johnson the details on the Walter Jenkins arrest. One of the last points that Fortas mentions in the phone call is the fact that Jenkins had been arrested about five years previously in the same YMCA bathroom for the same offense. We'll now skip forward a few hours to October 14th, 1964 at approximately 9.02pm. This is a phone call between President Johnson and Deke Deloach, the FBI White House liaison. He's always referred to as Cartha, quote, Deke, unquote, so I shortened a little bit and we're just going to call him Deke in this. Deke was Hoover's right-hand man and many thought he was going to become the next FBI director after Hoover retired. He was just as feared as the director. Yes, sir, Mr. President. What are the facts on this 59 charge? Uh, he was arrested uh, on January 15, 1959, at the same place where this uh, arrest supposedly took place one week ago, on the 7th. Uh, uh, Do you think he could have been framed? There's always that possibility, Mr. President. The, uh, the picture could have been transposed. Uh, oh, but I mean this uh, this week when he went there. Yes, sir, he could have been framed. It's entirely possible. How would these three policemen be peeking through the door and know he's there if they had had some indication? Well, now, they, they do hang around Lafayette Park, and they hang around places, places like the basement, the, the, uh, the men's room basement in the YMCA because... Uh, uh, this is a place where known homosexuals hang out. Was this happening in the men's room? Yes, sir, so they claim. Who's supposed to have been working on who? The water was supposed to be the active one, uh, Mr. President. In other words, this 62-year-old man was uh, letting Walter have it, and Walter was taking it, according to the police officer. I think the Republicans are going to try to push it, there's no doubt about that. But, uh, now, I don't think we have any choice in light of these facts, except just say, have him resign forthwith. All right, sir, I'll do that, Mr. President. So you can see how the subject of a frame-up kept coming up. Um, one other fact was that Barry Goldwater, Johnson's opponent, was Jenkins' commanding officer during World War II, and there was some thought that Goldwater might have had something to do with all of this. But I think the people involved in the story started to think twice about Goldwater's involvement when they learned of Jenkins' first arrest in 1959. Here's a little bonus part of that call between Deloach and Johnson that had to cut out of the Vanity Fair story for time reasons. This is Deloach discussing Jenkins' 1959 arrest in a little more detail. Uh, he was arrested in the late evening, and uh, at that time it was making indecent uh, gestures. The charge on the blotter was for uh, suspicion, and it was also placed on the fingerprint card. But it was also in his basement, the men's room with the YMCA here in Washington. At that time he was fingerprinted uh, and booked and a photograph taken by the police. But there was no uh, uh, no uh, copulation or no uh, uh, 
act going through it with another person. He was simply loitering, apparently, at that time. Well, was he with anyone? No, sir, he was not with anyone. Well, why would they pick up a guy if he just by himself? Apparently, he was uh, hanging around in the men's, uh, in the basement of the men's room there at the YMCA, and uh, according to the uh, police blotter, the secret report, he must have, uh, uh, must have pulled out his zipper or something like that, Mr. President. They did take him in at that time, though, and put him through the regular procedure. Well, pulled out his zipper by himself? I don't know that, sir. I don't know that to be the truth. But the Evening Star did have that information today, so they claimed. So now we find ourselves on October 15, 1964, 18 days before the election. This is the day that the Jenkins stories were splashed across papers across the country and big banner headlines in some places. Seeing the headlines, the First Lady, Lady Bird Johnson, was motivated to make sure that her husband was going to take care of Jenkins. So early in the morning on October 15th, just before LBJ was about to board a plane for another campaign trip, the First Lady called the President. Darling, I would like to do two things about Walter. Uh, I would like to offer him uh, the number two job at KTBC. Now here's some more of that special bonus trivia. It's about KTBC in Austin. Uh, in addition to being owned by the Johnson, this is also the only TV station in Austin. Floating around on the YouTubes is a pretty interesting little bit of video. It's a tour of the newsroom from 1960, or about 1960, given by Austin TV personality Cactus Pryor. I'm Cactus Pryor, and this is home, KTBC Radio and Television at 10th and Brazos. Come on in, we'll show you around. Check it out if you can. The really funny part is when they get really excited when they're showing all their video switching capabilities. After Johnson got elected in 1964, I'm sorry if I'm giving away any spoilers here, KTBC was expanded with extra broadcast capacity and range so the president could do broadcasts from Austin if needed. That's why when the Texas Tower sniper school shooting incident happened in 1966, KTBC was able to instantly carry the story across the country. Enough of the side trivia. Let's head back to the phone call from the First Lady where she's presenting her ideas to the President of how she wants to handle the Jenkins situation. Second, uh, when questioned, I'm going to say that this is incredible for a man that I've known all these years. I wouldn't say anything because it's not something you to get involved in now. Uh, I think if we don't express some support to him, I think that we will lose the entire love and devotion of all the people uh, who have been with us. Well, you get a hold of Clark and Abe and them and tell them how you feel about that. Uh, talk to them about it. Anything you can get them to approve, let me know. All right. Uh, Abe approves of the job offer. Abe approves of the statement. Well, talk to Clark. I must say that Clark does not approve of the latter. I would try to get Abe Clark to let me talk to Miss Jenkins. All right, she's called me this morning, honey. Yes, what'd she say? Uh, she is uh, so hysterical and so bitter, it's dreadful. She feels that her life is ruined, that their life is ruined, and it's all been laid on the altar of working for us. You see, she doesn't believe any of this. She believes it's a framed, put-up job. Well, I think somebody better go talk to her and tell her the facts. 
does. Uh, does he know that he walked in after he left the Newsweek party voluntarily in the YMCA? And I'm not sure that she does. She's got to know the truth, and he's got to tell her. Abe ought to get him to tell her the truth. I, I, I think we, I think we ought to offer support uh, in, in every, any way we can. You can't put him on the station with a license. Do you understand that? Uh, and I don't think that you'd have a license five minutes with a station being operated by someone like that. I hear you when you say it, but I just almost rather make uh, offer to do it and then let the license go down the drain. Well, but that doesn't do anybody any good, does it? Offer them something else running the range. My poor darling, my heart breaks for you, too. Well, I know it, honey, and uh, let's ride this thing out for two weeks. My love, I pray for you along with Walter. In the end, the October surprise didn't affect the election, mostly because it was quickly knocked off the headlines by more pressing news events, such as Premier Khrushchev of the Soviet Union being forced out, and the successful test of a nuclear bomb by China. The voice of the people was heard in the land. 68 million citizens of the United States go to the polls to exercise their cherished franchise, and an overwhelming mandate is handed to Lyndon Baines Johnson who becomes 36th President of the United States. The man who was thrust into office through the hand of tragedy captures an overwhelming percentage of the popular vote, more than 61%, a plurality over Barry Morris Goldwater of nearly 16 million ballots. It is an historical sweeping victory. Shortly after the scandal broke, Jenkins checked into a Washington, D.C. hospital with a case of nervous exhaustion. He remained heavily sedated for the next few days. So much was J. Edgar Hoover's respect for LBJ's power that Hoover didn't press the matter further and even sent Jenkins flowers in the hospital. Jenkins submitted his resignation and retired from government service and moved back to Austin where he worked as a business consultant until he passed away until 1985. The nice part of the story is that he was a welcome guest of the Johnson Ranch up until the day he died. And on that note... Yes, ma'am, I read you loud and clear. Yes, ma'am, this is... Yes, ma'am, this is... This is the present. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning in and listening. Please spread the word if you enjoyed the podcast. You can find episodes on my website at www.scottcolonico.com or on iTunes under This Is The President. On Twitter, I'm at Scott Colonico. Sometime in the next week, I'll be appearing on the Projection Booth podcast where we'll talk about the cult movie Existo with, believe it or not, Jim Varney of Ernest fame. You can find the Projection Booth at your favorite podcast suppliers. Also, before the election, I hope to have another episode up with a special guest, so please keep checking back for that. Thanks again for following everybody, and thanks again for listening. All right, we'll see you soon.